This episode of Domain Athlete Radio is brought to you by Hydrant. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. For 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code NOMEAT at checkout. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Meat Athlete Radio. All right, today I am here with Julia Murray. It is just the two of us today. Um, and I just heard you were about to get out on the snow. <laughs> yeah, it snowed yesterday, and we're about to go play in it in Whistler. So that is that's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, the passion still is there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess you know when you live in the big mountains and there's lots of snow, you can probably get out in it and not worry about social distancing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got to stay two meters away at all times. <laughs> Yeah, you said you were you said you were gonna go out on the sled, and I actually had no idea what you were talking about. So, <laughs> what does what does that mean exactly? Um, my husband's snowmobile, so we we're gonna go tandem okay. tandem, which means side by side, um, and then we go and ski tour from the sled. So it's your way out there Wait, in hold the middle on. of nowhere. Tandem side by side. Yeah. On the snowmobile? Yeah. So he's on one side, I'm on the other, both standing up, and then we have one hand on each. Um, side of what? the handle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a thing? Yeah, it takes a bit to get used to. <laughs> is is that just for fun or is there some sort of advantage versus like Well, it's just so you don't you, you don't need two sleds. So we just we use it mainly as um, access. So we get up into the mountains and then we can ski tour from there out in the middle uh, of nowhere away from people. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it's fun. <laughs> Good adventure. Well, well that's that's awesome. So one thing we're going to talk about today, we've been kind of been teasing this for the last several weeks, since the first time you were on on the podcast a couple weeks ago, but with everything around COVID-19 and everything else going on in the world, we kind of shifted gears a bit. But Yeah, there um, are more important things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. You're pretty important. So. <laughs> but we're, we're about to hear your story, which is so cool because, I, you yeah. know, I kind of know your story, but, you know, we've met a few times and... Um, and, and work together for a while now, but I don't actually know that much about, you know, your history with, with skiing professionally yeah. at an Olympic level. And, uh, and I just have a, a ton of personal questions because cool. I think it's just so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty cool. Um, do you yeah. want me to start from the beginning? Yeah. Why don't you just start from the beginning? Okay. Okay. So, um, I grew up in Whistler, BC, like I just said, and it's a ski town. My parents actually moved here in the 70s when there was nothing. <laughs> Total ski bum. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, my dad was Dave Murray, a crazy Canuck. I don't know if you'd know him because he was a, a Canadian legend, but maybe didn't, uh, maybe not really an American legend. But he was one of the four Canadians in the 70s that started beating the Europeans on the World Cup tour in downhill racing in so, downhill okay yeah crazy um and so that's my and dad that's just like as fast as you can down a down a you know yeah. a course right? yeah and so usually injected slalom, with water right? so it's super icy really steep you go mm. like 100 and okay wait i'm gonna say kilometers an hour now <laughs> 120 <laughs> kilometers an hour what would that be fast okay um yep. yeah so that that was my dad he passed away when i was two so um from melanoma skin cancer but I kind of grew up with his name, especially in Whistler as a ski town, with his name um, to live up to a little bit. So, which was good, hmm. pre- good pressure, I think. 
Um, and then my mom was... Was your mom a skier as well? Ever? Yes. Yeah. She was a world champion yeah. freestyle skier back in the day. Oh, wow. So I don't know if you remember or know of uh, ski ballet. That was one of the oh, yeah. things that she did. So funny. No it's, way. If anybody <laughs> hasn't heard of that, you have to YouTube it. It's the most hilarious sport and really impressive. It's pretty much, you know, ballet on yeah, skis with music. Like, yeah, you're <laughs> down, a, down a mountain on skis. It's, yeah. uh, it is so wild to look at. I remember so a couple funny. of Winter Olympics ago, like people were sharing videos of that. And, oh, really? Like, you know, like trying to get it, get them to bring it back or something. And I, I think just, it like, totally yeah, should be brought back. Mine was blown. Yeah. <laughs> So she wow. did. So she, she did that plus um, aerials and moguls, and she did those three and was um, world championship uh, in the seventies for that. Was it seventies, early eighties too? Um, okay. So yeah, skiing was in my blood. That's for sure. And yeah. um, and so I kind of put the two together. And when I I ski raced my whole young life, and then I moved on to ski cross, which is sort of a combination of freestyle and racing if you can kind of think of it that way so it's going down a, a course with jumps rollers bank corners with four people at the same time <laughs> so okay head to head wow. racing and, it, and it's yeah. like, it's like racing in its rawest form um so yeah it was 2007 um they decided that we needed a a canadian national ski cross team because it had just named got named to the olympics like to be an Olympic sport in 2010. So I tried out for, I went through the whole trial, um, went through three camps to get named to the team eventually, and then traveled around the world for those three years on the World Cup circuit. So it was like all of a sudden I was just pushed into being on a national ski team. <laughs> so were you, were you doing ski cross before it was considered an Olympic sport? Um, uh no so it was pretty much just a yeah it was like 10 years before it, it got named to the olympics that it was going on so pretty new sport in general and mm. yeah as soon as i had heard that it it was just getting named to the olympics i was actually thinking of retiring from ski racing because i was on the bc team but it was kind of getting bored of going back and forth and back and forth <laughs> through sure. the gates and then i was like oh this sounds exciting so um Right away, yeah. on my way back home from, from the last race of the year, my coach was like, who wants to try this crazy sport? Um, who wants to <laughs> go through this this trial and see if you can get named to the team? Um, and I put my hand up with a few other friends, and then we went through three different camps. And there we were. All of a sudden, we had you know coaches, and we had ski technicians, and we, we had this whole plan to make it to the Olympics. And it was very all intense and all consuming all at once. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, I know what ski cross is because I've actually YouTubed you and tried to see you race a little bit. Um, yeah. But I've, you know, I've also I've also watched it in the Olympics. I, I, you know, those types of racing are super. I don't know. For some reason, that's like more exciting to me as a as a spectator who, spectator who doesn't follow you know ski racing in general. Yeah. Uh, normally, as outside of the Olympics, you know, because it's, it's hard to like. I love watching the downhill racing, you know, because they're just going so fast and they just, you know, suddenly catch this air and, you know, at <laughs> 70 miles an hour or whatever. And it's it's just mind boggling. Totally. But they're racing the clock, right? Whereas what you were doing was racing other people. I don't think the clock even mas matters very much. Mm -hmm. Or does it? I'm not sure. Well, it doesn't on race day. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's like the best spectator sport because you're seeing yeah. passing and crashing and it's just head-to-head sure. -head racing. It's so, so fun to watch and do. 
Um, but first, <laughs> the first day you arrive at a at a course and you you have to inspect it, so you go and check it all out. You slide down mm-hmm. and then you start visualizing in your head what it's going to be like when you're racing it, and then you do training runs. You usually do about three training runs with your teammates. So you're pulling out of the gate and do and going down the course and. Uh, figuring it out, you know, casing jumps, overshooting things, all of it. (laughs) And then then the day before race day is qualifications day. So you go through the whole course um, just while you do about one or two training runs that morning and then do your race qualification run on your own. And that's where you get timed and then you get put Uh, into heats for the next day. So there's one one section of timing and then otherwise it's just uh, head to head on race day. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So a lot like like time trials and cycling or something like that. Where, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. It's okay. Super so, fun. so you're going down. You know, you have a you have a ski racing background, um, mm-hmm. which which, I, you know, is, I, I apologize for <laughs> for not knowing more about this, but like like what does that okay. does that mean? Like you're doing downhill slalom, you're doing all of them, or is that? Yeah, I did or all ski of them. racing a specific. Okay. Yeah, slalom, GS, super G, and downhill. Yeah, and everybody okay. that did ski cross always had a ski racing background. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, I was about to ask that. Is that uh, is the kind of ski racing more important than you know learning knowing how to handle the the jumps and and stuff like that? Because some of those are yeah. are pretty big. You're getting some big air. Yeah, yeah, especially at X Games. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the okay. biggest, craziest course out there, and uh, it was yeah, and it was. Like, I think it was longer, how much longer? 30 seconds longer than normal. The airs were way bigger, and we had six people instead of four. <laughs> so, it was like, how much more extreme can we make this? Yeah, I yeah. Bet the crashes were that much more epic. Oh, yeah, 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 that's one of the, we'll get into injuries um, pretty soon, but that was one of my <laughs> knee injuries from X Games. Uh, yeah, um, okay. but yeah, I, I did three years on the circuit, so we went all around um yeah what does what does that entail uh world cup circuit so it was like i think three about three or four races a month maybe more and uh during the winter season and we would go all around the european uh, world and then we could also we were also going to like in the summer we would go to new zealand to train and chile to train so it was kind of winter all the time (laughs) i'm liking the breaks chase, chase the snow yeah exactly um and yeah, I was I was leading up leading up to the 2010 Olympics. It was my hometown Olympics. So it was Vancouver 2010, uh, just down the road from Whistler. And um, I was a medal contender that year. So I just I just for the Olympics. Yeah. So I just podiumed the previous three races, and uh-huh. so I pre qualified for the Olympics. Everything was looking awesome. Pressure was off to actually qualify, and I was at Lake Placid for our last race before the Olympics, one month before, one month out. And me and my teammate at the time, Kelsey Sirwa, who's now a gold medalist, Olympian, um, she and I were looking at this one section of the course, and it was a triple, like three rollers, and the guys were tripling it, and the, all of the girls were doubling and then absorbing the second one. And her and I so looked at it. tripling would be you jumped from the first one to the third one? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so her and I were looking at that and we're like, oh, we can do what the guys are doing. It's way faster. And if we can do that, then we'll be, you know, we'll beat all of the other girls. So 
we ended up, um, I ended up going first, trying this out, and I ended up overshooting the triple. So I went Ugh. way past that third roller and landed on the front side of the next jump. So just like squashed Ooh. myself and twisted around and kind of flew off and blew my knee. So one month before the Olympics, I blew my knee. Oh. And it was my first ever injury. And I just remember being like, oh, this does not feel right. And uh, yeah. Going was that to... during a race or like during a practice? Race? That was during the training. Yeah. Okay. And um, so I went to the, to the surgeon and he confirmed that I had a blown ACL, MCL, and a tibial bone bruise. And uh, a little tear in my meniscus too. <laughs> so... Um, it's quite devastating. Yeah, it was a it was a little bit of an emotional roller coaster because I hadn't really gone through that before. It was right before the Olympics. I was a medal contender, and um, yeah, so uh, <laughs> it was a it was a tough time. But then I I had to decide whether or not I wanted to continue and compete, and um, or be or you know do what the doctors were telling me to do, which was. Um, not compete because I could possibly dislocate my knee. And uh, yeah, so I, you know, it was my dream to go to the Olympics and I was a medal contender course, and yeah. I could not. So, so <laughs> yeah. I, I just carried on and what I had to do is get a little piece of my meniscus clipped out because it was a bucket handle tear on top of itself. So I couldn't actually bend my knee. Um, so oh my <laughs> about two and a half weeks before the Olympics, I got that chopped out was on crutches i remember for a few days and i actually had to come up to whistler to carry the torch i was supposed to ski with it but i ended up having to go on a, an electric snowmobile up and hand it over to steve Hodborski, another crazy canuck that used to ski race with my dad and then he skied down with it <laughs> but i got to carry the torch still um, yeah what an honor that's yeah, so cool it was cool and then I went right back to Vancouver and I was just pretty much living right upstairs from my physiotherapist and I would do physio, gym, icing all day, every day. That was my routine over and over again, right before um, the Olympics for two weeks before. And uh, yeah, but anyways, I, I, you know, walked through the opening ceremonies, which was amazing, such a crazy feeling. And then I made it to the start gate after also getting a couple cortisone shots and like getting my drained a couple times because it was so inflamed because um, my ACL was still blown, right? And uh, yeah. yeah, but I made it to the start gate and I ended up 12. I ended up going off one of the jumps and landing really far back. So actually bending my knee more than I had since, you know, before the injury. And that was the first round. So I had to go around to the next round and start again and um in the second sorry second round and um I tried to make a pass but I couldn't quite do it and oh man it was painful <laughs> so oh I ended up gosh. 12 and the hometown crowd was insane it was just such a crazy energy to be just standing in the start gate in my hometown olympics and and my one of my that best is, friends ah, actually I mean, it's so cool yeah and one of my best friends won. Um, Ashley McIver got the gold that day. So she's from Whistler. Oh, good. It was, yeah. It she, was was she the one who you were talking about the triple with? Uh, no, that was, was Kelsey. Sir, what? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, 12th in the world here. I yeah. know, I'm sure it's not the story that you, you know, you had hoped for, but I mean, that's pretty awesome. That was <laughs> yeah. really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. Definitely a, a learning experience. A lot more of an up and down situation I was expecting, but. 
yeah. definitely happy I, I made it made it happen for sure. Was so being in a hometown Olympics, were, was it still? I mean, were you still part of? Uh, like, did you stay in Olympic Village and stuff, or yeah? Like, was it still the same experience as it would have been if you were coming from France? Yeah, yeah, we stayed uh, because it was in Vancouver, just an hour and a half away from my home. I did get to stay in the Athlete Village. It was really cool. Um, and they did such a good job in Vancouver. Just everything was all put together and amazing. And the volunteers made it all so great, too. So it was definitely a cool experience. And and meanwhile, my my husband now, Davey, he it's like a whole other story, but he just got into the Olympics the night before because he was a third alternate and then he ended up racing oh. and competing and, um, and getting sixth place. So, uh, it was kind of, there's a lot sport? of drama going on during that time. Uh, yeah. same, same sport. Oh, wow. Ski cross. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, after the Olympics, I ended up getting surgery. So a week later I got surgery on my ACL reconstruction and then I had to do rehab for a few months um, and then got back into the um, World Cup circuit and then um, at X Games, like, like I was mentioning before, I was just getting my confidence back because it's not only just, you know, physical, you got to get your physical body back, you have to actually get your mental back mm-hmm. too, you have to be mm-hmm. more, be confident in the sport especially. Um, sure. So I went off, well, I was... I had a great run at X Games, really fun course, big jumps, and this is qualification run, so it was on my own, and this last jump was was built a little funny, and I didn't uh, check speed before, so I flew off of it and landed on the finish line. Um, I think you can find that on YouTube, actually. <laughs> it's like 150-foot jump by accident, and I ended up, <laughs> I ended up blowing my knee again, um, but that night, they didn't see that it was a... ACL. They just saw that it was like cartilage damage and there's some cartilage floating around. And so with my physios and coaches and everything, we decided that I would compete the next week still at world championships. And, um, I ended up taking second place behind Kelsey Sura teammate world championships. That was a really big highlight for us. And, uh, yeah. And then the week after I went in and they said, Nope, you have a blown ACL uh, really bad cartilage damage. So I had two centimeters of bone on bone on my tibial plateau. <laughs> so I'm like, oh man, here we go again. And they had to do um, micro fracture surgery, which means they they have to drill um, a bunch of little holes in my bare bone and then marrow seeps through and creates new cartilage, which is incredible what they do. Huh. Um, but I had to sleep with this continuous passive motion machine at night for three weeks. So I was like a bionic <laughs> woman. <laughs> I was like... It would it just slowly, like moved your leg. Yeah, it would slowly bend and straighten my leg overnight, just so that that Whoa. cartilage would would grow back smoothly. Um, that is wild. I know it's. It looked like a machine from the fifties. It was so old. <laughs> um, and I was two months non weight bearing, and yeah, so that was quite the surgery. Um, and then that's sort of when I decided that I was going to move on to the next chapter of my life. <laughs> That is very cool. Yeah. Um, There's the injury yeah. stories. Well, that I mean, that's quite a journey. That I mean, it's uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just it, not very often I, I you get to talk to an Olympic athlete who's been <laughs> on world world tours, world yeah. Tours. Well, everyone's got their <laughs> own story. So. Yeah. No, I know. Definitely. I know. It's it's cool. It's unique, and it's 
Yeah. I don't know. It's fun to hear it. It is. Um, Yeah. What a crazy roller coaster. I definitely learned a lot during that time about who I, who I am as a person and how I deal with adversity and, sure. um, yeah, for anyone out there, it's just, I think that it's just focusing on the positives and the little baby steps and baby wins, you know, that's all you can really do, um, when you're going through stuff like that and, and just keeping a positive mindset. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we should, we should totally have an entire episode on, um, on dealing with injury and setbacks because, mm-hmm. um, you know, Happens I've certainly dealt with my own and, uh, yeah. and, you know, and then to hear you talk about yours, I think would be, would be good because that's something that people, you know, it's like, it can be so devastating when you're, cause it, it always seems to happen when you're really close to race day or the Olympics or, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, it just seems like things, yeah, you know, you, when you're pushing yourself, <laughs> when you're training the hardest, you know, when you're pushing yourself the most is when those injuries tend to pop up and, um, yeah. And they can be devastating because at that point you've already invested so much time and energy into to whatever it is you're doing. Um, yeah. Yeah, and for then sure. To, you know, to not be able to see it through the same way you'd like. But mm-hmm. yeah, bad but, timing. Yeah, so we should do that. <laughs> we should we should do that uh, soon. Sure. Um, okay. Good. So I w- I really want to hear because you are a plant based chef, a nutritionist. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to hear all about that transition of this post professional athlete to into everything you're doing now, um, because it's, it's really cool as well. And, um, and, you know, and that's, this is part of the reason why we're so excited to have you as a regular host of the podcast is, um, is because you not only have this awesome athlete story and, and career, Mm -hmm. um, but you know, you've also done a lot of the nutrition work, you know, afterwards you're, you know, you're certainly more qualified than I am to talk about it. So, you know, so I think this will be really, this is exciting. So, you have um, so I want to hear about that side of, of the story as well. But first, let's, let's take a second to uh, thank this week's sponsor. Cool. This episode of Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by Hydrant. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly with, into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs, that's sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc, to help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Julia, as a performer professional athlete, you uh, are bound to know a few things about hydration and how why it's important. Definitely, yeah, and nutritionist, too. I, I think I actually learned a little more about it after I finished okay. uh, skiing, but <laughs> Good. yeah, our, our bodies are 60% water, so, and people just don't drink enough water throughout the day, so that's why I love just having a huge mason jar full of water right when you wake up, because your body's just working on cell rejuvenation and getting dehydrated all throughout your sleep. You might be sleeping, but your body is doing all this housework. So it's really important to hydrate, especially in the morning. And uh, I was just looking at this stuff and it looks really cool with all the minerals in there and helps your electrolytes get all balanced, which is awesome. Yeah. And it tastes great too. We, uh, my wife and I have both been using it pretty regularly. It's, it's, cool. it's great. I'm going to have to try. So get 25% off your... Yeah, you should. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if you want it, you should get 25% off your first order there of you Hydrant. Go. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Perfect. <laughs> By going to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code NOMEAT at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and use pro- co- promo code NOMEAT for 25% off your first order. Cool. I'm doing it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Okay, so you're a nutritionist. 
How am. did how did you go from uh, athlete, professional athlete, injured professional athlete to uh, <laughs> to nutrition? Like where where did that? Because you weren't vegan um, when you were competing. Is that I was right? not. I wish I was. Oh, would have been would have been so much better for my inflammation and everything. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what? So what kind of triggered that transition for you? Uh, okay. Well, I went. So I, I got the world championships. I got my surgery, and then I decided I was I was ready for the new chapter of life. And um, you know, it's it's tough for for athletes to transition sometimes because that's your it's all encompassing. That's what you've done. That's what I did for the rest the whole early part of my life. And um, you know, everything was kind of set out for me the last six years on the World Cup tour. Everything from my schedule and like what I was doing that day for training and all of it. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I was like, oh man, what now? But actually the Olympic committee had a lot of great resources and we had a couple great speakers come and talk um, to us as transitioning athletes just to help figure out what you wanted to do and what sparked sparked a passion within you. Um, So I still didn't really know what to do, but I ended up just going to school for communications because that seems like a good thing to go to school for, right? Um, And I got a diploma just to have something by my name. Um, But throughout that, I I was in this business class and they wanted us to do uh, a project on a food truck, just like a business plan on, on building a food truck. And I was like, man, I... I don't really want to do a food truck. I want to do a breakfast cereal because I used to bring this breakfast cereal on the road with me all the time. And so I got my teacher to allow me to do my project on Jules Fuel breakfast cereal. And uh, I ended up creating it. And that was uh, about seven years. I had my own breakfast cereal called Jules Fuel. And it was really great. It was like a mom and daughter kind of project too. So we got to hang out at the farmer's markets all the time. Um, And then throughout that... I figured that I needed something else by my name so I could talk about my breakfast cereal better, you know? So I became a holistic nutritionist because why not? And uh, I went through Canadian School of Natural Nutrition for, it took me three years because I did a correspondence. And and then from there, I learned all about plant-based living and how anti-inflammatory it is. And so many um, of these health markers are you know, the plant-based diet was helping with all of them. So I saw all of these kind of green lights going on as I was reading through my holistic nutrition that got me really interested in veganism. Um, so yeah, it just kind of started somewhere and then moved on to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And then well, that's interesting. So, so it wasn't, you didn't fall in love with plant-based nutrition and then seek nutritionist certifications. No. It was yeah. kind of the other way around. It was the other way around. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I became a plant-based chef through Ruby, which is uh, mm-hmm. Chad Sarno's, uh, the Sarno Brothers thing. And that was really yeah. awesome, like a six-month course. I recommend it to anybody because it's it's pretty basic and it's just kind of like gets you excited about plant-based cooking. Um, and then I was like, I've always wanted to go to New York. So a couple of years ago, I saw Victoria Moran's Main Street Vegan Academy. And yep. I'm like, oh, okay, now is my chance to go to New York and eat all the vegan food and learn a bunch <laughs> of stuff. So I went and it was awesome. We had, you know, Dr. Milton Mills and Dr. Osfeld and a few other amazing speakers. And we got to see the vegan food scene in, in New York, which was incredible. Um, yeah. But yeah, throughout all that, I guess I should say I started hooked on plants. 
uh, my blog, uh, 2016, mm-hmm. I think it was. So I do vegan recipes over there that are just super easy and mainly whole food plant-based just to help people transition. Um, because yeah, when I was going, when I was going plant-based, I was the only one doing it. I didn't know anyone else except for online. I have to say you guys really helped. Like No Meat Athlete oh. was one of the first podcasts I started listening to hey. in the vegan realm. So thank you. <laughs> and now here we are. It's just it's yeah. kind of it's kind of crazy to me. Full circle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah full circle. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you guys have made a really good impact on this world and always put so yeah, much valuable you. and relatable info out. So thank you. Nothing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's sort of my my vegan story. I, I mean, like, I got so into it, just like most vegans do when they start, just got so passionate. And, you know, I mm-hmm. watched Cowspiracy and got connected with the environmental side. I watched Forks Over Knives. And now, if I was going vegan now, I would watch Game Changers and what the hell. <laughs> but back then, we didn't <laughs> sure. have those. And, mm-hmm. then, uh, and then Earthlings was actually, that's kind of like what the what broke the straw. What do you call it? <laughs> Broke the straw on the camel's back. Straw on the camel's back. That's something right. like that. Yep. Yeah, I there's that <laughs> the one. straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh man, there's just that one scene in Earthlings, that first mm-hmm. scene where the cow is just being pushed into the slaughterhouse mm-hmm. and he just can't even turn around and he kind of looks back and so scared and it's just like I was looking at my dog at the same time and looking at that cow's eyes and their eyes were the same so i was just like what how can i eat a cow a pig a chicken all these sentient beings at the same time as having my dog that i love and care for and would do everything for it just didn't mesh in my head anymore so um yeah i just realized that there's no humane way to kill someone who has the will to live and uh yeah so it's just so much easier to be vegan than not and i I just wish i had done it sooner yeah i think earthlings had a big impact on on matt's story as well really transition yeah yeah i didn't actually see it until after well after i'd gone vegetarian Um, yeah i think i think i don't know why i don't know why if i just didn't have an opportunity to or didn't make an opportunity to those types of movies tend to um you know they're so hard to watch. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, I didn't even make it through. That I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you know they're so hard to watch that, that like it's hard to find the motivation to do it. Exactly. <laughs> you know, at least for me, but I, and a lot of people are like really drawn to those types of films for motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, but for for me, it's like oh, I just like can't picture watching that. Um, so it, yeah. for a while, it was I didn't I didn't see it. But you know, gosh, it's just so like it. It is important to see because it just has this lasting impact on you. Like you said, you can yeah. still envision that scene. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's uh, super important to know where your food is coming from. And yeah, I think that a lot of people, like I, I, I just was unaware and I didn't really care to know. And um, I think that education is just so key, especially if you're transitioning to becoming a plant-based eater. Like the first thing that you want to know is is why you're doing it. You know, what is that right. really important pull? And then second is education because like when I was going vegan, I didn't know how to talk about this kind of stuff. I I was the only one doing it. So that's why I just spewed everything out onto Hooked on Plants. There's the Why Vegan page there. And I was like, okay, well, if anyone asks, then at least I can write it down and they can read it because I wasn't sure how to speak about it. <laughs> <laughs> and especially the animal side, you know, I was kind of awkward yeah. talking about that because I didn't want to make people feel bad. And still, I never want to make anyone feel bad about their choices um, because yeah. I was there too. Like my mom 
my mom, as I was growing up, fed me super healthy. Uh, but there was always a piece of meat on the plate because we thought we needed protein. We now know that that's not the case. Every essential nutrient is found in the plant kingdom. Um, but I just want to have, I just have to be so, um, you know, sensitive to everyone around me who I'm talking to because I don't want to make anyone feel bad. I just want to say, eat as many whole plant foods as you possibly can and educate yourself so that you know where everything's coming from. And then eventually people will get there on their own. And I've just planted seeds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, as you know, that's the philosophy we, we've always followed at Nomad Athlete and just how, how, you know, we believe that the more laid back approach to evangelizing the plant-based diet, um, mm-hmm. you know, just has, is so, can be so much more impactful. You know, it's, it might not get as many headlines or it might not, you know, raise blood pressure as much <laughs> as, <laughs> yeah. as, as shouting does and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, but, that, but if you can encourage people to begin eating more plants and to get educated and like just, they'll figure it out on their own. You know, I, yeah, I really believe that. Uh, they'll, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and if, even if it's not hundred percent plant-based, like they'll figure out that the plant, you know, a more help, more plant-based diet is, um, is way healthier for them. It's way healthier for the environment. It's way better for the animals. And, and, you know, as soon as they start going down that path there, it's so much easier and easier to then mm-hmm. become hundred percent. Yeah. You don't have to label yourself. You just have to do, you know, the best that you personally can in the circumstances you find yourself in and with the knowledge that you have. And there's so much like awesome education out there, like this podcast and there's, you know, 80, 20 plants that we're both working on. And there's yeah. um, tons of just YouTubers. Like I I was, you know, when I was going plant-based, I was really into hot for food and edgy veg and, um, mm-hmm. you know, YouTubers that have just so many delicious looking food. And, and that's what really got me interested in just sharing it in the food way, because just to show that you can really eat delicious food that has the same texture and taste and everything that you've always loved, but it can all come from plants. I think that that's a really great way to share this whole exciting thing. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so important, you know, and, and it's becoming less of a thing, thank goodness, where like, I mean, I remember the first time I went vegetarian, you know, I had family members and friends who just kind of joked around about how all I did was eat like leaves and grass, you know, that's <laughs> and like, like, I don't think people, I mean, I'm sure some people will still think that, but, um, you know, I think now people understand that they're, that you can have really delicious food that's plant-based and, and the more we share recipes, the more we share meals together with people that you've cooked or you contribute at least part of a meal or something like that that's plant-based and they can taste that and say wow this is pretty good or it tastes just like the non-plant-based version uh, or maybe even better and it makes you feel better then um, that's how we can convince people I think yeah for sure and I think like I think we're all born as vegan you know we're born as compassionate beings and we all want to be kind Mm -hmm. to each other and um and then we're just kind of molded into a society that makes you know eating animals normal and uh so going back to just just like being a little child and loving all animals and uh and realizing that you can get every single necessary nutrient to thrive in the plant kingdom and you can actually get so creative in the kitchen and have so much fun by learning new recipes and veganizing old favorites and and uh yeah all that good stuff 
Absolutely. So, all right. So, before we wrap up here, um, I you mentioned when I right after the ad, you know, when I first uh, said that you are a nutritionist or, or that you weren't uh, plant based when you um, when you were competing, you the first thing you said was, "I wish I had been. I wish I had known that." You know. So, I guess uh, to kind of wrap up, why why do you think that? Like, uh, what is it about? I was, or what's the one thing you wished you had known when you were an athlete about nutrition that um, that you know now that you think could have improved uh, in your performance or your recovery or, or whatever? Yeah, it's a good question because that was definitely one of the things that I saw coming up a lot when I was studying nutrition um, is eating plants for inflammation. And, you know, at the time, my knee was pretty inflamed. I had just had those couple of surgeries and like, oh man, I just, I need some, need some anti-inflammatory help here. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. So eating plants is just the most, they're the most anti-inflammatory ingredient because they have so many antioxidants. First of all, like free radicals are, um, unstable molecules that come into your body in all ways. So there's like toxins in all around you. There's just, uh, you know, stuff that you might eat. That's not, not great that create free radicals and, and, um, so antioxidants, you can kind of think of it as, um, like a hot potato game. So the, the free radical comes in, antioxidants are hanging out in a circle and the free radical just gets bounced around to these antioxidants and each time it hits an antioxidant it cools down a little bit gets a little less crazy (laughs) and so when that when that happens eventually your body can excrete that free radical because it's cool enough to get out of the body so just that in its in itself is a really cool thing to kind of think of when you're eating plants eating all these colorful nutrient-dense foods um, in their whole form so you know, avoiding the refined carbohydrates like sugary, floury kind of things and focusing on whole plant foods like fruits, vegetables, legumes, nuts, seeds, and whole grains. Those are packed with antioxidants and also really great for your gut. And your gut microbiome is a whole other realm that um, I could get really into. But um, (laughs) pretty much the number one precursor to a healthy gut microbiome is the diversity of plants that you eat. And the more plants you eat and the healthier and more diverse your gut microbiome is, then the least, the less inflammation you'll have in your body and especially chronic inflammation is what we're talking about, right? So like sore back, mm-hmm. sore knees and inflamed joints and um, all of that. So maybe we can save the gut microbiome for another episode because I feel like there's <laughs> a lot to talk about there. And sure. it's so cool. Yeah. yeah. But, cool. Yeah. Good stuff. Just eat more plants, man. Just yeah. eat more plants. <laughs> the world would be a much better place if we all just followed yeah. that. Right. <laughs> followed right. that guideline. <laughs> awesome. Awesome, Julia. Well, this is this was very cool for me to hear more about um your your professional skiing career and uh and what has shaped you over the past several years. Yeah. So thanks for joining us today and thanks for um thanks for, you know, being such a big part of the new new era of nomad athlete yeah, radio and I'm excited you know, for I, th- it. I think that the uh already i have seen some amazing feedback about the episodes you've been on so um cool well yeah it's such an honor to be on here and i just i know that you have so many amazing listeners um doing great things so thank you everybody for having me and welcoming uh, yeah. me welcoming me into this <laughs> nma realm <laughs> it's very cool <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah all right well uh 
outside of the podcast, they check people can check you out at hookedonplants.com and on social media. And then, uh, yeah. of course, the 8020 Plants program that we were working with at Nomi yeah. Athlete. Um, exactly. Uh, and with, along with some people who have not traditionally been a part of the Nomi Athlete family. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there's just a lot going on, and I think people will uh, have lots of opportunity to to get to know you better. Sounds great. I can't wait for it. I'm excited for our little future here. All right. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Julia. And have fun uh, Have fun on the sled. In the mountains. In, in this, Social the distance mountain, mountain time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Stay healthy, everybody. Right. <laughs>